0: Hey-up! Welcome to the Temple of Blood episode 18, I think it is. Let's just double-check that. It certainly is 18. Fantastic. So you didn't get a normal episode this week. That's because I was working on this the entire time. It's the Great Cat History of Roadrunner Records documentary. It's just a mini-documentary I kind of threw together as a proof of concept, um to see if the more scaled history of runner, runner records episodes would be kind of technically viable on my machine and if I can actually do a good job of it. So it's intended for YouTube. So if you'd rather look at the visuals, then by all means, just give us a YouTube on Temple of Blair or history of road runner records. Great cat. Um, but I'm just going to j- jump straight into it. and I'm just going to give you the audio file straight away. Um, normal episodes back to normal next week it's just uh, one of my learnings from this is that it takes a lot of time to do a video it turns out anyway i hope you enjoy this one i'll cut straight to it cheers
1: that's the point of energizing stimulating your brain with power do you date <laughs>
0: The Great Cat is a neoclassical shred guitarist and violin virtuoso who released two albums on Roadrunner Records, Worship Me or Die, sometime in 1987 and Beethoven on Speed on September 18th, 1990. Her unrelenting and abrasive persona and BDSM imagery have been etched into the memories of many a metalhead of the late 1980s and early 1990s, but since then she appears to have slipped into obscurity. Or has she? ready call of duty ghosts out now at tesco yep that's the great cat's guitar and violin work you can hear and that's her shtick bridging the gap between heavy metal music and classical music
1: what i am doing is simply taking classical music just in case you didn't know classical music resurrecting it into the 21st century using metal i am taking beethoven and bringing it through the common music of the masses The classical music of the past is dead. What will this do for the future of this world? It's gonna wake people up, stop your drugs, stop your drinking, stop your smoking, get into the 21st century with power, with excitement, with brilliance, and with anger and viciousness!
0: So that footage was taken about 30 years ago. So how did we get from...
1: (laughs) That's totally powerful music. ...to this. Mm-hmm. Wow! Wunderbar! Auf die Weisheit! Red Gut! They The Great Cat walls! Tread on! Auf
0: Wiedersehen! Actually, I guess they're not worlds apart. Catherine Thomas was born in Swindon in the UK on the 6th of June 1966. She won a scholarship from the prestigious music school Juilliard in New York City. In fact, let's give Cat the floor here, and she can fill us in on her musical background.
2: All right, let me let me just tell you what for the for the idiots out there that don't know the great cats. Pedigree background, okay? I studied, since I was seven years old, classical music. I, 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 I went to Juilliard. I was a concertmaster at Juilliard. I'm a violin virtuoso. I, I won Artists International on violin. I played at Carnegie Recital Hall as a violin soloist, all right? I, I toured all over the world. I played for Mayor Ed, Mayor Ed Koch in New York as a violin soloist. I played for Governor in Mexico as a violin soloist. Steve Allen, the famous comedian... He wrote a piece for the great capper, Catherine Thomas, called Sonatina, alright, which I performed in England. Timothy Leary, the famous drug, uh, anti, uh, anti culture drug guru, okay? We collaborated on a piece called Right Brain Lover. So, that's the whole classical genius that I went through. Theory, oh, I won Robert Hofstetter Award at, at Julia for Theory, and then I discovered, uh, after I, I decided that classical music was dead, I discovered heavy metal, alright? Then that's where the great cat goddess metal goddess comes in.
0: So musically, she's good stock. The verdict seems to be that Judas Priest is what turned her onto metal in the first place. Tom Von Doom, who would later join Cat's band as bass player, fills me in on his perspective.
3: She was more disillusioned with the the world of classical music. Mm. Uh, you know, she wanted she was a soloist. And she wanted to play, you know, violin solos with orchestras. At that time, there were no positions available for female violin virtuosos. Yeah. You know, all guys mm. playing playing the solos and orchestras. And she, you know, she couldn't break in. And, you know, she was certainly good enough. Mm. You know, it was, it was definitely... uh you know, gender-based. Yeah. And she did hear, you know, Judas Priest one day and was like, what is that? That sounds like opera. And she started to explore it. And she's like, this is my way mm-hmm. into the music world. Mm. You know, I'm going to do this new thing.
0: I guess one uh, question which you might um, or might not know is between discovering metal and forming the band, how long has she actually been playing guitar? It'd be interesting to know how transferable the violin skills are to guitar.
3: not as long as you would think. Mm. <laughs> uh you know, when I when I joined the band, that she'd been playing 3 years. Jesus. Maybe? What? yeah.
0: Man, that's crazy. Yeah. That's cr- In my head kind of anyway you should, was- have,
3: you should have heard her pl- practice violin. Mm. Like, you know, she play, you know, she'd practice guitar all the time. But, you know, when she broke out her violin, it was just like, oh, my God. It's so amazing. You know, yeah, my- I, yeah, yeah, I was always in awe of her ability.
0: So after Kat formed the band, she quickly completed her first demo EP called Satan Says. She then sets out looking for a photographer to help her complete the cover art for the album.
4: It started on a very busy day. When uh, I spent an afternoon taking pictures of, um, what's his name, Uh, Steve Steve Winwood. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I came home from that kind of stressed because that evening, Yoko Ono, who is one of my main uh, clients and good friends, um, was playing at the Beacon Theater in New York. She had been doing a series of tours. We'd been in Europe. Mm -hmm. And this was like a big New York show. And it was that night. Okay. And I come home from that and I got to switch my cameras and get up to the Beacon and the phone rings and I pick it up. And is this voice yelling at me, like yelling to, to the point where you hold the phone away, and like a foot away from your ear. Like, what the fuck? Who is this? You know, ah, blah, blah, blah. She's screaming like, a, cream Magazine told me to call you up. You know, you're a photographer. I'm like, yeah, I'm a photographer. What do you know about heavy metal? I'm like, I don't know. You know, out of the blue, I'm like, uh, I took pictures of Alice Cooper and Kiss. I, I told her, she said, what have you done lately? I said, whoa, Okay. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Um, I said, well, I did Stevie Winwood this afternoon. I'm doing Yoko Ono tonight. What do you want? You know? <laughs> and she said, well, my name is Great Cat. I want something really cat-like, you know, really obnoxious. I said, obnoxious. I said, our cat used to eat raw meat. You want something like that? She said, yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> I said, oh, okay. Let's <laughs> you know? see how this goes. And then the day she came, I don't think I had met her, actually, but I knew we wanted to do something with a cat eating raw meat. Right. And I took it a little further, because I live in a West Village, which now is all gentrified, but back then, uh, 30 years ago, it was still very much the meat market. Uh, Which means at four o'clock in the morning, these giant trucks came in with sides of beef, butchers would chop them all up, and then by noon, they were gone. But at 11 o'clock or 12, there was these big garbage cans out front that literally had bones, like, you know, cow leg bones, that were like this big, like prehistoric kind of bones so I went up there and I just kind of nabbed. A few. I remember the guy yelling at me and I was running down the street carrying these two <laughs> giant bones. And, uh, I went to the grocery store, I got some liver, some raw liver, because that's what our cat used to eat. Um, she came over we talked about, she loved the idea. She loved the bones, uh, <clears throat> which is probably, you know, really t- contagious with God knows what, like, you know, <laughs> but that's why they, they don't let you just take them away. you know? mm-hmm. Um, and I think I had an old rug that was falling apart, like a throw rug, like it was a kind of a sheepskin. Right. Okay. And I really just picked it up and, and pulled, and it came in half. And we kind of taped that or glue you know, pinned that to her bra, so she mm. had this like cave man look, you know, cave girl. So um, it was pretty heavy duty. Um, and, and so we took a bunch of pictures of her, like that were eating the raw meat. And, mm. um, and it's a great picture. I think it's the <laughs> cover of the album, right?
5: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
4: and she liked that so much that so that's kind of started the relationship because it worked out so well.
0: The product of this effort you can see on the screen in front of you now, the Satan Says demo would be self-released by Cat on her own, label Death Records Inc., and would somehow find its way into the hands of Steve Ricardo, who was working at Enigma Records at the time and would eventually sign the band to Roadrunner Records.
6: When I was in California, find a three-song tape from the great Cat that was in a pile of tapes that someone right. said, yeah. and I just sent a postcard and said, I don't always say, I, you know, I wasn't into the rejection postcards, but they made us send them. Mm-hmm. I sent one up and I said, you know, this is really interesting. Keep in touch. I swear to God, two weeks later, I'm in my office. The receptionist is like, Steve, there's someone here to see you. I go in the lobby and there's three people there covered in leather and chains. And this chick jumps up and goes, I'm the great cat. And I'm like, you came to California? I'm like, you know, she goes, no, we came to see you. You're the only guy that liked our tape. And I was like, okay. So we went out to lunch. And you know what? I bought into it, man. And I went to Case and I said, Case, this is really interesting. Hey, he made, I know they made money off the great cat. And he said, sign her. And I think it was like 10 grand or something. And we made, you know, we, we signed the great cat. We had a great party. Holly put the party together. And everyone in the whole New York metal scene was there. And Bob Groon was there. Even people like Monty Monty Connor, who ended up working for uh, Roadrunner, was there. People yeah. like that. Don Kay. I don't know if you know him. There was all these. Yep. uh Mike Schnapp. All these New York metal dudes were all there. <laughs> and Cat was like just driving everybody nuts. But Bob Groon took all these great photos of us. You know, the great Bob Groon, one of the great rock photographers. And uh, nobody liked her. It was like they couldn't stand her. She just was like, worship me and die. And she'd get on the phone and scream at people. And I just thought it was funny. And Holly did too.
0: And and was she the first signing for the US office? She was my first signing. I admire that. But... Case must have seen something in her, because he's an opera guy, right?
6: Oh yeah, Case let me sign her when I brought when I told him about. He gave me the thumbs up right away. Mm. That's one thing I will say about Case is he knew, he saw what I saw. She's a star. I would. Mm. I'm not going to say star potential. I'm going to say she is a star. Whether she sold enough records to be called a star or not doesn't really matter. Because she's she is a star. She should have been a lot bigger.
0: With their new relationship with an up-and-coming indie label established, Cass and the band took to the studio to begin production of their first full-length LP, Worship Me or Die. Carrot Fay, who produced Megadeth's debut, Killing is My Business and Business is Good, would produce Worship Me or Die. For about two days, before the job went to <laughs> she, it
5: was. We had two floors, so the studio's on the first floor, or the Second floor, my office was on the first floor. Right. And uh, I heard from my partner who was engineering it. He said, uh, when there's a, you know, uh, you wouldn't believe it was a big blow up. And, and then she just came downstairs and, and just, you know, Kurt, you're a musician. I can't stand these fucking producers who don't, who don't know how to, you know, don't know music. You know, Will you produce me. Right. So I said, uh, on one condition you know and I was and i was really strict about it i said there will be no you know uh, there will be, i i am i am not the uh, i am not a person that you say fuck you to i'm from philadelphia we mm-hmm. we boot santa claus you know so you know i won't tolerate it i won't tolerate it at all we're there to do work we're there to make great music yeah. as long as you have that attitude i'll produce it but if you 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 you, you go off on me one time fuck you you know, and I was I was right in her face, yeah, and, and and she respected it. You know, <laughs>
3: you know it's either you either you're on the cat bandwagon or you're not. Eric was a character. Um He, uh you know, he may may have done a good job producing the record or not. I I don't know about that. He was a party guy. Yeah. You know, we hung out you know, drinking and partying more <laughs> than talking about. Yeah, what kind of recording mics we were going
0: to use? The interesting thing about Kat on this record is that once you understand her musical background, it kind of puts her style of guitar and her style of shredding into perspective.
5: Everything was charted out, you know? So, Mm. I mean, that's just never done. I mean, you know, we had a lot of metal bands and speed metal acts. They didn't chart chart anything. It was just all rehearsed. They just knew their parts. You know, most of them, I would say half of them couldn't read music. You know, it's, a, but she's Juilliard, you know, for a completely different mindset. Yeah, completely. I mean, basically using the ax, uh, uh, you know, instead of a violin, it was, a, it was a guitar and, and yeah. she played it like a violinist, you know, it's, and believe me, violinists, I'll tell you that this is the interesting thing. Like I've produced a lot of pop records too, you know, and I would bring in string players yeah. and I just tell you a little story. So if you're doing orchestration and you bring in horn players and mm-hmm. string players. This is absolutely true. You, I bet you talk to any producer, they'll say as they think horn players, they're really spitting, right? Right? They're spitting into their instruments. Yeah, yeah. And they're usually guys, it doesn't matter, guys women, but mostly usually guys. And they're cool. They're just, you know, they're 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 just they're loose, they're just string players, men or women. Like there's the funniest thing. Like you give them the chart and they'll go. And I've used the Philadelphia Orchestra people, you know, which is very good orchestra. They'll play it,
2: mm-hmm. and they'll
5: they'll say they'll look at each other and say, "How did you? Yeah, that was great. Okay, well, that was great. We're we um we're we're finished." And you say, uh, "No, they're not. <laughs> you know, they they are finicky. Mm. They're they're just a totally different breed of kind of character, you know, and you have to." say you know you have to unless they're really unless they're session players and I'm um, actually these people were session players they just think they're just it's it's weird it's weird so she's a string player mm-hmm. who plays guitar mm-hmm. and then yeah. she adds all that grit into her with her personality all that rock rock hard grit you know like and yeah, yeah. everything about her very unique
4: well, uh, she was intense. So fans, she actually started getting fans, and then mm-hmm. uh, the fans were called slaves. Yep. I think the first album was Worship Me or Die. Correct. Yep. And, um, and she would sit there in the photo session actually screaming, Die! Die! You know, that's how we got these pictures. Ah, Die!
0: <laughs> Worship Me or Die would come out in 1987 on Roadrunner's operating body, Road Racer Records. It's worth a listen. It's not quite the neoclassical shred takes that she'd become known for. It's probably easier to describe what this album isn't, rather than what this album is. It's certainly fast, it's certainly particularly brutal, it's not necessarily thrash, it doesn't quite step into any sort of death and grind core realms, but it's a solid foundation on what Cat would eventually become known for. Her unrelenting persistence on being worshipped, and her perhaps overly aggressive social disposition.
4: And the thing was, we got along for some reason. I I understood who she was and that she was um, no different from a lot of loud, obnoxious guys. Yeah. But the people didn't accept that from a, a small, pretty girl.
0: Yeah, there is what I'm going to cautiously refer to as an empowerment angle uh, from Kat at this time. We can see it on the album sleeves. We can see it on the BDSM Dom persona. We can see it in all our interviews and TV appearances. But check out this clip from the trash TV program, the Morton Downey Jr. Show. It's a fucking hoot.
4: All right, let okay, me let me go KFO. to uh, let me go to our loudmouth here. We've got cat. All right. Thanks, Kat. Let, let, let us talk here for a second. Shut up. I've right? turned on MTV I've turned on. I've turned on MTV a number of times, and I really only see two kinds of women on MTV: young bloods, blondes, blondes, and virginal boots, all right. <laughs> Let's
1: see your boots, Mort. Huh? I'm
4: not I'm not a young blonde baby. Oh, and, yeah, I'm, babe. and I'm not a virgin, but neither oh. are you, either one. Yeah, but you know what you are.
1: Junior, and usually they Mark have. Jr. I hate and to tell you, you're chain-smoking in my face and you're going to get cancer, and please don't get it I'll tell you something, more you, you know, more. you know, more you know, you know, this shows your total ins- shut up, shut up, this total shows your total insecurity of females and everything, because you have to be sucking on a cigarette, I, it's amazing to me I, I, you do have your own to suck
3: on? Come back here. Hey, hey, come
1: back here. Hey, I had to say something. Come back here and suck my
4: And I'll guarantee you she has one. this lady is fighting against. Get her ass out of here! We'll be back in a minute. Um,
0: anyway, I mean, this could have been a label move. Just throw her into the volley of fire and place her as the antagonist for good publicity. But here's the interesting thing for me. She's not playing up to any particular role. She's not attacking the show for its attitude to metal or whatever the PMRC was doing at the time, which I think is what that show is about. She goes straight for the gullet and calls a petulant chauvinist an insecure man-child for thinking women with autonomy are some kind of pariah to be feared. So, the great cat. Social justice martyr? Maybe. After Worship or Die came out, the band tried to get on the road, but was faced with a number of obstacles.
3: Well, by the time we did the music video, there was a different drummer. Okay. So the drummer in the music video is not Adam Killa. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different guy named Rob Banks, yep. who, who was a great drummer, but, uh, you know, again, didn't last that long. Right. Lasted long enough to make the music video and then went off to Greener Pastures. Um so we were talking about putting a tour together, mm-hmm. but we just couldn't keep a drummer in the band. <laughs> um, and I, I had made friends with one of the guys who auditioned for the band, but didn't make the band mm-hmm. a guy named Todd and Todd and I just got to be friends. And we started playing together uh, and I had another friend who was a you know great guitar player who I later went on to play in several bands with. And we just started rehearsing together and Kat heard about it. Mm-hmm. And she was oh, no. disapproving. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, you can't play with other people. I'm like, of course I can. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, and, uh, she was like if you don't if you don't stop playing with those people you're out of the band. I'm like I'm out of the band, click.
6: Oh dude. <laughs> that
3: was it. I was you know, it's like if we're not going to play, mm. there's no band to be in, you know. Like it, there was no drummer, there were no rehearsals, you know. Yeah. There were no solid dates. So at that point I was like I'm looking for my next gig.
0: Yeah, yeah. From this point, I've got a blind spot. However, three years later, Cat's follow-up album, Beethoven on Speed, goes into production. By this point, Roadrunner themselves have had some changes in staff. This is an account of the recording of the album lifted from the Facebook page of Monty Connor. In early 1990, Roadrunner's owner asked me to take over A&R for The Great Cat, who was signed before I joined the label. He wanted me to simply make things work between the uncontrollable artists and the label and oversee the making of her second album. Being still fairly new there and eager to please, I accepted the daunting challenge and dove right in. At the time, Kat kept describing her music to the press as Beethoven on speed, so the first thing I told her was, okay, then make the music that backs that up and start by doing a speed metal cover of Beethoven's famous Symphony No. 5. After hearing her insane arrangement, I had even the better idea of also having her do a groove thrash version, and that is how the Beethoven mosh came about. Now we were onto something, and the rest of the album became a combo of originals and other classical covers as picked by Cat. Corsakov's Fly to the Bumblebee, Chopin's Funeral March, and Paganini's Caprice No. 24. It's the formula she still uses to this day. I was at practically every minute of every recording session, and in the end it was decided by Cat that we would both get a co-production credit with the producer slash engineer John Matthias. It's the only time in my career that I actually played a hands-on producer role. John was not pleased about sharing the credit with us, but by the end of the sessions he was a totally broken man, like all men before him. There was not a person alive who could control Kat. She only listened to her mother, who she would often stick me on the phone with for backup during our many intense battles. Her mum was totally cool with me. She could sense I cared, and I was only doing what I felt was best for Kat in the album. Kat concurred with Monty on an email interview I had with her. Incidentally, what you're seeing on the screen is as it was written. The Great Cat and Monty Connor went to the House of Music Recording Studio in West Orange, New Jersey, and began recording this new masterpiece. Monty was at the recording the entire time, adding speed metal suggestions and dealing with the engineers that would inevitably collapse under the stress of working with the genius of The Great Cat High Priestess of Guitar Shred. The Great Cat ended up once again producing and dominating the entire productions, with Monty and John Matthias as co-producers. Who else but The Great Cat would be capable of producing classical genius music? It seems that directing Cat to adopt the classical virtuoso approach had a profound effect. The album itself is divided into opuses, and is far more distinct from Worship Me or Die, in that it's way more diverse. It feels like Cat's found the proverbial angle on this record, and in a way it helps contextualise Cat's style of shred that we heard on Worship Me or Die. Beethoven on Speed was released on September 18th, 1990, and was followed by eclectic TV appearances,
1: uh, Yeah, and I don't know what to Feminine, feminine, feminine. The great cat is gone. Well, the I music think... of the 21st century, Beethoven on Speed. Come on, think... get it.
0: You Energetic live shows. <laughs> and abrasive self-promotion.
1: Juilliard's orchestra, huh? Yeah, right. Are you aware of the great cat? Have you been enlightened to the music of the future? Cat, Beethoven on speed! Why don't you wake up and get into the 21st century with Beethoven on speed? Hello?
3: You're
0: persistent, aren't you?
1: That's right. If you don't jam it down their throats, they won't wake up! Wake up, New York!
0: But Cat's time with Roadrunner didn't last.
6: because of her personality. Because people didn't... People couldn't deal with her. They didn't, want, they didn't like the way she acted. She yeah. was like, her, she would literally tell everyone, worship me or die, you know? That was her thing, you know? She would just be in your face, screaming. And we tried to mellow her out, but <laughs> get it. There was no way.
0: When I asked her how her relationship with Roadrunner ended, she replied, After they did nothing to further the genius of the great cat, I decided to get off the contract and take matters into my own hands. I started my own record label, TPR Music, and quickly began releasing masterpiece albums on my own TPR Music label. Guitar Goddess CD, Bloody Vivaldi CD, Wagner's War CD, Beethoven Shreds, and much more. Listen to these masterpieces now on Spotify. Etc, you can see it all on the screen. So that's the Roadrunner era covered. So what's she been doing since then? Here's a brief synopsis. In 1996, she teamed up with an IT company, Cybersoft, I believe, to produce a CD-ROM interactive album, Digital Beethoven on Cyberspeed. It's pretty cool, actually, especially if you're in any way nostalgic for that old Encarta encyclopedia aesthetic. She's actually selling autographed copies of this. I'll put the links below. So this is where I tell you something you already knew. The cat isn't fucking dumb. Check out this interview she did with Reality Check TV in 1990 fucking four. Let me me tell
2: you
1: something. 10 years ago, no one even knew what a a PC was, a home computer. Now millions of people have PCs. Within the next couple of years, everybody will have CD-ROMs. Everybody will be online. As a matter of fact, I'm getting a website. Do you know what a website is? I've
3: heard of it. Where you can interact with all of the Right, so
1: you get into it, you click on the computer, and you can call up thegreatcat.com. And then you can go in there and and download some of these cool graphics and and, and wave files. This is what the future is. Cat Shopping Channel. (laughs) Move that thing over. Mm -hmm. Cat Shopping Channel.
4: Stockings. Some bows. And ladies, for those of you wishing to eat the man at home, i This item is going extremely fast, so I would suggest you call in
0: immediately. Wagner's War came out in 2002, featuring, as you might expect, it, Flight of the Valkyries. The album seems to be a reaction to 9-11, according to an interview with Todd Skaggs. And by the way, I want to be completely clear on this observation. She's been communicating in the exact same way for 35 fucking years. She's not relented in one interview, one TV appearance, one article posted. It's been relentless, non-stop, forever. Coming through to more modern times, Beethoven Shreds came out in 2011, featuring another mix of originals and more Beethoven metal arrangements. And as recent as 2020, she's been continuing her mission to bridge the gap between classical music and metal. To sum it all up, I'll again take the words of her later Roadrunner a man, Monty Connor. You may joke or sneer about all of this, as Cat is not taken very seriously by the metal community. But two things I can tell you for sure is that she definitely is a total genius guitar player, and none of what you see from her is an act or shtick. I spent months on end with her and never saw her once out of character, which is why I say it's no act. The cat you see is the real cat. And she is still the same exact person today, obsessively unwavering in her mission, even with very little success to show for it. It's hard not to admire her utter dedication and tenacity. So what are we to make of The Great Cat? Well, I can tell you that when I was learning guitar as a kid, I was looking for some way to get into classical music, but since there are just so many composers and so much music under that banner, there wasn't anything that could really hook me in. If I had known about Cat in this time, there's a real chance I could have found what I was looking for. I mean, just to be clear, this is what I wanted. And this is what I got. I man, there's nothing wrong with Malmsteen. It's virtuosity in one instrument at the expense of everything else that's going on, in the song and on the stage, and that's completely fine if you're more of a technical guitar person. But if you want to get into classical through Malmsteen, there's a step missing, and that's where Kat should have been. When she sticks to her mission statement and delivers through-line classical arrangements for metal, she fucking delivers. But here's my issue. She delivers, but she doesn't deliver in spades. Her latest contribution is a Beethoven mashup to celebrate the composer's 250th birthday. And it's just 250 seconds of music, a lot of which is compiled from recordings that she'd made previously. It appears that she rarely opts to record a full album, instead churning out a couple of minutes of music, then throws it straight onto to Spotify with an accompanying video. In 2020 alone, she's put out 15 releases, but only four go over two minutes long. Dude, I even asked her why her Roadrunner albums aren't Spotify, because I couldn't find them anywhere. And then she just linked me straight to them. It turns out she's got two fucking Spotify artist accounts. It's all over the place. Her website is a similar story. She's trying to host a 35-year career on, like, the old Space Jam HTML website. I personally can't make heads or tails with what's going on with Cat CatBase and the website. I can't tell if she's pushing something that came out yesterday or something that was 25 years ago. But as I've already mentioned, she's not dumb and she's not insane or anything like that. I mean, we live in a post-Liam Gallagher world. Meaning we can allow artists to be absolute <laughs> as long as they're delivering the goods. And as I said, the great cat does deliver the goods. But she delivers the goods in a disintegrated cardboard box with oil stains and no return address. That's the problem. I actually regret my interview with her. I was playing the History of Roadrunner Records angle, when I'm actually more curious as to whether she could play Paganini's Caprice No. 5, or whether she can cram all six Brandenburg concertos into 25 minutes. I'd also ask why she's not on the list of notable alumni from the Juilliard School Wiki. So in summary, Kat's worth your time because she's your jumping-off point for classical music and metal. But Kat, listen up. Hire a grad student to tidy up your website tidy up your spotify pages and get to fucking work reducing the Brandenburg concertos into 25 minutes and i don't want you to cut them down i want the whole thing everything just faster good luck i'll see you in a month we stayed
6: friends too you know we still to this day we communicate you know
4: um i try not to talk on the phone with her I I, I like the album cover so intense I gave a CD to my son who was about eight at the time I think probably about ten and he brought it to school and I hadn't even looked at it other than the pictures I don't listen to that kind of music really and uh, he got in trouble because one of the songs has a lyric about kill your parents yep (laughs) I didn't know that (laughs) and uh, so I have to apologize profusely you know (laughs)
0: Did you know of the great cat? That little shit.
4: Yeah, sure. (laughs) I met her five seconds in my life. The little shit came up to me. She she said, well, I'm not on the cover of your magazine. I said, because you're not good enough. And that was the end of the conversation.
6: (laughs) Oh, a great story. It was at the CMJ metal convention, and she started going at it with Mustang, Dave Mustang. Oh. He was, she, he was fucked up and she didn't, she's not a drinker. She's just like relentless. She practically made him cry. He wanted to fight her. People were holding him back it was to me it was the greatest thing ever i'm like how come every writer here is not talking about the fact that the great cat made dave mustang cry you know i mean it was like that was an epic moment